Radio CIC is a production of Contrary Investors Cafe and is produced for educational purposes only. Opinions of guests do not necessarily reflect those of Radio CIC, Contrary Investors Cafe, its staff, affiliates, or advertisers. Radio CIC does not specifically recommend any investments, nor does it intend for information imparted by guests to be investment recommendations. As always, consult a qualified financial advisor before making any financial decisions. Welcome to Radio CIC. I'm your host, Takoa Da Silva. We're here again with Trace Mayer, author and blogger over at RunToGold.com. He's published the Great Credit Contraction book. Trace, how you doing? Uh, doing wonderful. Thanks, Takoa. Yeah, it's a pleasure to talk to you again. Uh, you recently uh, added a, a new post uh, on your blog about silver backwardation. It's uh, a pretty big topic that's in the news right now. I'd like to get your take on it. Yes. Well, first, we should start with the definitions for those who might be unfamiliar with it. When trading commodities, there are usually two different states. There are two different states. One is contango, and the other is backwardation. Backwardation is where the price of the commodity for immediate delivery is higher than the price of the for the delivery in the future, and contango is the opposite. So, for example, uh, in with silver, the price for silver for immediate delivery is about thirty-three dollars an ounce, while uh, delivery in the future, say in one month or three months or six months or a year or even all the way up to five years, that price is higher. So it's going to be like $34 or 30, uh, $34.50 in some cases. And so this backwardation, the spread between the, the months has gotten in you know out of hand. And one of the reasons for that is the monetary metals should never trade in sustained backwardation. And the reason for this is because when you when you get this when you get the metal for delivery today, you have an opportunity cost relative to uh, delivery for the future within one month or six months. And that opportunity cost is a function of the amount of money you would earn you would earn interest on. So the interest rate on the fiat currency, and also the storage costs, the insurance costs, the risks of theft, things like that, uh, that you might have with the metal. And the reason people would want to take immediate delivery and not accept uh, the fiat currency in return would be uh, they don't think that they'll get the silver in the future. They don't think that there will be uh, delivery for them. And so that would be the uh, the other side of the equation. And so what this sustained backwardation is saying is that uh, we want silver right now, today, and we're unwilling to take fiat currency in exchange for not getting our delivery today, but getting it sometime in the future. And so it's a quite a development, in my opinion, in this market, because it's showing that people want the physical metal. And they're unwilling to take some time to wait for it, which should give arbitragers a lot of opportunities. So where are the arbitragers? They're not here. So this is, a, in my opinion, a very important development in the silver market. Once again, just to, so that um, uh, myself and also our listeners can understand that clearly, a March 2015 uh, 5,000-ounce silver contract is running at about a dollar to a dollar fifty cheaper per ounce on silver as opposed to um, a contract that's just a few months out here right now? Uh, yes. I mean, I don't have the exact prices in front of me, but the backwardation, it's, it has widened uh, 
from about 12 cents to, uh, from what I heard or I think I read lately, it was upwards of over a dollar, maybe even a dollar fifty. Uh, you, I mean, you have to look at the the entire time curve there, because the one month or versus the six months or the the five years. But overall, from what I understand, the entire market is in backwardation across the entire time curve. And then, of course, the further out you get, the higher it's getting. So, so the, the arbitragers are not willing to take the risk by by delivering silver today in the hopes it's getting it back in a you know even one month from now. So traditionally, if the arbitragers had faith in this market, what they would do is if they had a, a COMEX slip, if they had 5,000 ounces of silver in the COMEX warehouse, they would say, "Send uh, sell my ounces here now at uh, 33, and I'm going to buy a long contract at uh, 32 and uh, make the spread, the uh, the difference in the spread, correct? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm a perfect example. I've got a lot of physical silver that I own, and uh, and I'm sitting on it. Why am I unwilling to sell my silver today and get uh, silver six months from now, uh, sell it today for, say, $34, and then get it six months from now at $33? And in the meantime, I wouldn't have to pay storage fees on my silver, and I would be earning interest on the cash that I would get from it. But, see, I'm not willing to part with my silver, at least not at these prices. And so I'm sitting on it. <laughs> so if, if people who are buying silver today, or in other words, if, if, the, if the people who have sold silver short today and they have to make delivery, where are they going to get the physical silver? Well, they're not getting it from me at only $33 an ounce. I'm just going to sit on it. And, I, and I'm unwilling to take that arbitrage opportunity to uh, sell it today and get it back six months from now because I don't want to sit on fiat currency. So that's how, you know, in my own personal uh, situation, how this kind of esoteric topic uh, gets applied. Trace, what would you say to the concept of um, future production coming online? And with that, let's take a little bit, let's try to argue the the other side of it, because I know that there's folks out there who have that belief that uh, whether it's 2012, 13, or 14, um, that it's cheaper because more supply is going to come online. Is that realistic? I mean, because I know that the the base metal producers and a lot of the silver produce, the uh, producers will probably be ramping up their production. Is Is that enough to suppress the uh, demand going out into those years, in your opinion? I think that there's a reasonable and a credible argument for that side. When it comes to me personally, I'm unwilling to, you could say, put my money where where the mouth is. I'm not willing to bet on that side. And that's the great thing about markets, is uh, people get to bet, and whoever wins, they get to keep the silver. And whoever loses, they lose the silver. And so... Uh, I think that, you know, there's definitely a credible argument there. There are a lot of miners out there. Uh, they produce copper, for example. A byproduct with that mine is silver. Uh, and they've been ramping up mine production capacity, uh, especially the, as the prices have been rising over this last decade. But you know what? It takes a long time to get a mine into production. There's a lot of regulation and permitting and all types of things like that. And you couple that with an extremely small market like the silver market, the total above ground stockpiles, it's only like a $30 billion market compared to gold, which is uh, like $6 trillion. You know, there's a lot of above ground stockpiles of gold. And so when you look at the bank problems and you look at the sovereign debt crisis problems and you look at, you look at all of the counterparty risk and the bailouts and and let's say you're sitting on 
$8 million of fiat currency, you have nowhere to go but gold, as Alan Greenspan says. But that's not entirely true. You can go into silver. You could buy palladium or platinum. And, and all four of these, uh, in my opinion, can work as a monetary metal. They all have, for the most part, the same properties uh, monetarily as gold does. And so, you know, someone might say, you know what? I would rather have $8 million of silver than $8 million of gold uh, because I think silver is a little bit cheaper. And so, uh, you know, hey, buy my $8 million and truck it and stick it in my vault, and that's how I'm going to store my capital. <laughs> and, and because it's a small $30 billion market, uh, you, have, you, you could have just a few kind of big fish like this, and it could exert a lot of pressure on this market. Uh, for example, um, let's say that J.P. Morgan has sold short a year's worth of silver production, uh, and Eric Sprott decides to come in and release a silver ETF uh, where he takes actual physical possession of the metal, and it's a $500 million ETF. What does that do to the supply-demand economics in this market? Where does Eric Sprott get you know, the 100 million ounces of silver, 150 million ounces of silver? And you couple that with increased demand from China. China, just a few years ago, they they exported 40 million ounces of silver. Uh, last year, they imported 40 million ounces of silver. So you've got almost 100 million ounce difference in demand just from China alone. And this is a tiny market. There's only 550 million ounces produced every year, and it's not easy to ramp up that mine production. So, you know, that's the counter argument to, to okay, we're going to be able to dig a bunch of this stuff out of the earth and and meet demand at current prices, and so that's why it should trade in backwardation, I would say, well, I'm not going to bet on that. <laughs> no? And we'll see who's going to win. Yeah. And right now, people who are betting on taking delivery today, they're winning. And last time silver went into backwardation back in 2009 uh, for about five and a half weeks, we saw prices almost double. So, um, you know, if silver went to $60, $70 an ounce, then I might be willing to uh, sell my physical silver and accept delivery in six months. You know, I, I might I might take the risk then, but I'm not going to take the risk now. Not not at thirty three dollars. <laughs> You know, Trace, uh, if you could refresh my memory, because I simply can't recall, as you mentioned in 2009 when silver was uh, in a uh, backwardation, was that during that March-April um, period when, it, when, 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 when silver was battered down to the $9 level? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly when it was. And uh, I wrote quite a few, I think I wrote like four articles uh, kind of chronicling. I was like, man, silver can't stay backwarded like this. We're going to have to have a rise in price. And yeah, it got it got beaten down quite a bit. And the Reserve Bank of India actually uh, they they imposed some controls where they wouldn't allow importation of silver, and then they rescinded the controls. And uh, you know that's another thing that nobody ever really talks about is demand from India. I mean, you've got China who's buying a ton of silver, but you also got Indians, and Indians buy a ton of silver, uh, tons of it. And so the Reserve Bank of India, they, they relaxed the importation controls, and then their demand kind of skyrocketed too. And that put a lot, of, a lot of stress, a lot of pressure on the silver market. And in order to clear the market, the price had to rise. And that's really 
of what we're talking about, you know, is being able to clear the market because what the backwardation, uh, you can analogize it, it's a mismatch. It's like a bank run. It's a mismatch between current liabilities and future uh, assets, long-term assets, just like a bank run is. You know, people, uh, they want their dollars right now. Like in Korea, they just had 20,000 people run on one of the major banks there. Finance minister, he put like $17,000 of his own money into the bank to try and calm people down, but they all want their money. They're like, I want my money, I want it right now, and I don't care that you've you, that you've lent it out to somebody's mortgage, you know, from a beautiful, <laughs> a wonderful life. And so it's the same thing with silver. Uh, it's a mismatch of the asset and liability characteristic over the time curve, and people are saying, I want my silver right now. Give it to me, and I won't accept your paper promise in the future, <laughs> and I won't accept your paper promise today either. Because I think that's where this is really generating uh, the the demand is the taking physical possession. You know, Trace, I'd like to throw another opposing argument your way, and that is, for example, if we look at uh, maybe the orange tree crops in Florida, uh, if there were to be a hurricane and 20% of the crop is wiped out, the short-term contracts will probably go through the roof and longer term will be in a state of backwardation. That orange juice being as a commodity, can you talk to the difference between a, a commodity going into backwardation and then money going into backwardation? Yeah, well, we've already we've already mentioned it when I when I said monetary metals. Um, who buys orange juice and sticks it in the vault in order to save or store their purchasing power for five years from now or five hundred years from now? Whether it's gold, I mean, they're still pulling up silver bullion bars that sunk with ships in the Caribbean 500 years ago, you know, 400 years ago. So silver retains its purchasing power over time. Uh, orange juice, on the other hand, it's not, it's hard to store it. You can't really store it over a long period of time. It's perishable. But really, at the end of the day, why do we produce orange juice? Like, what value does that commodity add to society? Well, it tastes good, and we consume it. We drink it. We don't, you know, we produce silver. Not only do we consume it by putting it in our iPhones or in our computers, but we also produce it because it adds the ability, it adds value in performing mental calculations of value, the same reason we produce gold primarily. And the reason we kind of, humanity likes this this bimetallism Function to their currency, because if one of the if one of the monetary commodities gets a little bit overbought, uh, there's a twin that is able to act kind of like a mirror, and we see it in the in the currency markets also. You've got the dollar and the euro. That makes sense. So, uh, orange juice, pork bellies, cattle, soybeans, nobody buys those to hoard them. They buy them to consume them. Uh, but silver, it's got this kind of dual role. We buy it to consume it, and we also buy it as a store of value. So, and nobody can argue with that. We have the Sprott Silver Asset uh, Fund. We have the SLV ETF. We have people sitting on American Silver Eagles. So there is monetary demand for this metal, and in addition to it being used in a lot of industrial applications. So it's it's got this hybrid. Uh, personality, which I think adds a lot to its volatility. 
is a very restless metal in terms of price. You know, Trace, if we were to um, imagine ourselves in the year 2012 or, or 13, what do you think this time is going to represent as far as a landmark? Because I know, for example, when the SLV came out, that seemed to represent a real landmark in terms of accessibility to the silver market, albeit a paper a paper access. But when we look back to this time uh, during this price run uh, and the uh, psychological issues that are happening surrounding the Sprott Silver ETF, what do you think this time is going to represent looking back? Well, I, 2012, 2013, I think we're going to see uh, – I think we're, what we're seeing – Kind of spearheaded by Sprott, but really followed by everybody else in this in this circle is like the Hunt brothers. Uh, what they did back in the 80s, you know, getting in there, taking, trying to trying to disrupt a small market uh, by taking physical delivery. And this time around, uh, I mean, you can't. It's, there's not just one power player to like put the thumb on. You know, you can't just like put the thumb on the hunt now by raising COMEX margins. And even though they've been raising the margins on the on the commodities across the board, they've created, the Fed has just created a tremendous amount of, of little colored coupons out of thin air, you know, and that money, well, that currency has got to go somewhere. And it's rising all the commodities, in my opinion. And so... 2012, 2013, I think we're going to be seeing uh, sustained levels of price inflation. Uh, the cost of living is going to be going up. The standard of living is going to be going down for most people because their wages won't be able to keep up with the increase in prices. The people who are really going to be hit are uh, anybody on fixed incomes, you know, pensions or Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Um, and then Anybody in bonds, they're just going to get eviscerated uh, because, uh, I mean, it's like a triple whammy against bonds right now between uh, interest rates that have nowhere to go but up. They're denominated in a fiat currency that's being printed into oblivion. And so, uh, you know, I think we're, I think looking out over that time frame, there's still a lot of bullish reasons uh, to be in the commodities. Outside of that, uh, when we look at things like the unrest going on now and um, the potential political unrest that's going to uh, occur here in the U.S. as a result of what we're talking about right now, what are some ways, Trace, that you uh, plan on escaping uh, some of the chaos? Well, I, uh, me personally, <laughs> I've got another website called HowToVanish.com. So uh, who is John Galt? You know, the movie comes out on April 15th. Uh, I think that's an important thing for people to take into account as we see the the, the common stocks of, of governments evaporating, the, these fiat currencies. Uh, you look at the Egyptian pound or you look at what's happening to the euro and accompanied with it, we've got civil unrest. And, you know, the entire Middle East is on fire right now with political uh, sentiment. It's just, you know, people are very angry over there and they're angry because they can't make a living you know even selling orange juice like the guy in Tunisia who um, kind of literally set off the spark of that revolution and I think we're seeing that spread all over the world because we've got protests worldwide and you know the current system it 
it's untenable. You know, whether it's the pension funds and the teachers unions in Wisconsin, uh, whether it's trying to crack down and keep people from being able to sell orange juice in Tunisia, whether it's uh, retiring at 52 in Greece, uh, it's, it's all over the world. So I think if people uh, can do what they can to mitigate any type of sovereign risk they have, any type of risk to particular uh, nation-state jurisdictions, I think that's a very wise thing to do, especially if they're productive members of society, you know, the John Galt. They should look at ways to be able to banish because uh, they're going to be in the crosshairs. Trace Mayer, it's an absolute pleasure to speak with you again here. Thanks for setting aside time and uh, speaking with us. What are you going to be writing on next? Oh, I, I don't have any ideas. you got to have uh, this creative inspiration to kind of uh, distill uh, in order to figure out what to write about. And that's, you know, that's the thing about an economy. Uh, the reason we have cars is because somebody had that idea. You know, and they didn't just have the idea about a car. They had to have ideas about the wheels, and they had to have ideas about the engine, and they had to have ideas about uh, the gasoline and being able to get the oil out of the bottom of the ocean. And all of that has to come uh, you, through through a voluntary mechanism because... You can't just force the car to appear there. I mean, somebody's got to do the work, and that's the problem that, that we were talking about. You know, too many people, uh, they're trying to get something for nothing, and the economy of the world is no longer uh, able to sustain that burden. And so, you know, what am I going to write about next? I mean, I don't know. Am I even going to write about anything? <laughs> you know, who is Tom Galt? We just assume uh, that we'll have food in the supermarket shelves. We just assume that the farmer is going to take the, the effort and the time to uh, go in and, and study whether or not he should plant something and the truck driver, whether or not he's actually going to drive the truck and get things around. Uh, and, I, you know, getting back to that, I don't necessarily think that's a safe assumption. Uh, we shouldn't necessarily assume that the economy is going to continue producing uh, things for people because uh, if you're a holder of capital, you want to deploy the capital into a, into an economic environment like this, or do you want to batten down the hatches? And you know, for I think a lot more people are battening down the hatches. Uh, the John Galts are withdrawing from society, and they're going to just let this storm blow over. Yeah, it seems like we're really in the eye of the storm, and uh, a lot of these governments will collapse, and capital is scared, and it's hiding in things like gold and silver for immediate delivery, <laughs> rather than the long-dated contracts. Uh, Trace, uh, again, it's a pleasure to speak with you, and thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me.